Welcome to Drop Everything, podcast number 96. I'm your host, Dan Holzman. On this podcast, the special guest is Larry Voxman, better known as the amazing Larry V. Larry V was a big part of my IGA experiences at the conventions he stood out for his amazing combination tricks and his wit and, of course, his wacky costuming. Before we talk to Larry, though, let's thank our sponsor, the IJA. That stands for International Jugglers Association. Get involved with this great group of jugglers. Go to juggle.org for more information. All right, drop everything, settle in, get ready for the amazing Larry V. Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 96. My very special guest, Larry Voxman, better known to the juggling community as Larry V. Hi, Larry. Hey there. Well, let's start with some background. Uh, you are a very important part of my IJ experience. Before I met you, though, uh, where did you come from? Where did you grow up, and what did your parents do for a living? Well, thank you. Uh, I came from Philadelphia, PA, from uh, a Jewish family, and uh, my father was a World War II veteran, and we lived in a big house with my grandparents and uh, had a rather normal, uneventful childhood. And uh, I learned to juggle one day, uh, playing around with a couple oranges. Figured out how to juggle two with one hand, and I figured out how to juggle two with the other hand. That's not the ideal way to learn how to juggle, but it's a good way to learn how to juggle, because once you learn to do two in one hand either way, then you can just alternate and juggle three. Now, any showbiz in your family? Any kind of circus connections? Definitely no circus connections. My uh, my sister was very much into singing. My grandmother uh, and mother played the piano quite a lot, but uh, they didn't perform. My sister was uh, the big show business personality in school. She was an excellent singer, but uh, she was never really interested in performing professionally. And unfortunately, as soon as she became an adult, she got hooked on alcohol and... Uh, she wound up dying just before her 52nd birthday from an overdose. Well, that's a very sad story, Larry. I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know we'd be going in that direction, but my condolences. Yeah, thank you. Now, uh, before you learned to juggle, it sounds like you kind of taught yourself. Did you see someone juggle? Where did you actually experience juggling, even seeing it? Well, uh, when I saw jugglers on TV, which was pretty rare, I never quite figured out what they were doing. Now, I was born in 1951. It wasn't until uh, 1977, when I was uh, almost 26, that I finally met another good juggler and uh, finally learned that I was doing the reverse cascade as my usual pattern. And uh, that's the story of why I learned how to do such strange things. Of course, if I had to do it over again, uh, I would have learned them a more conventional way, but uh, that's the way it was. There were some good things that happened because of that. And how old were you when you learned to juggle? Thirteen. Thirteen. Well, that's a good age. Pretty, pretty much the same age I did. The shows you watched, was it like Ed Sullivan? Where would you see jugglers on TV? Well, uh, Ed Sullivan, uh, I can't remember seeing any jugglers elsewhere. I must have seen some, but uh, I don't think there were a whole lot of variety shows in those days other than Ed Sullivan. And any names come to mind of any jugglers you might have seen? Maybe Francis Brunn or uh, Bobby May? I mean, 1951. So you're kind, of, you're kind of in the heyday of the of the Ed Sullivan show. Any names come to mind? 
Well, I was born. I was born in '51. Yeah. I don't have much recollection of that year, but uh, no, no. I'm saying, but by the time Sullivan came along, yeah, I I never uh, knew any great jugglers' names until I got involved with the IJA. So you learned kind of late thirteen. You didn't even see another juggler until you were twenty six. So what were those years in between like? Did you just practice on your own, or was juggling just something you learned and kind of dropped until you got to your twenties? Well, uh, I performed a little bit in school, in, in junior high school and high school. I didn't get much of an opportunity to perform elsewhere, but uh, then uh, in, on New Year's Eve 1976, uh, that's, a, that's a red letter date for me, I was invited to uh, a New Year's Eve party. I decided I'd perform. I, I checked with uh, the hostess. And uh, it was okay with her. So I uh, did my cram practicing. And uh, I, could, I could juggle on a small pogo stick. And, of course, not the tall pogo stick that you, that you have seen. And I could do my kicks behind the back. And I could do five balls, three in the right and two on the left. Uh, I, you very well might remember that I did three and two rather than a five-ball cascade. That made a pretty good juggling act for the time, especially especially if you weren't getting paid. So uh, I got myself into shape, whipped myself into shape for that New Year's Eve show. And shortly after that, I heard that there was um, there were auditions for uh, the juggler in Carnival. There were no opportunities for me to uh, to perform as a juggler that I knew of. So I I took acting classes. Someone in the acting class uh, announced that uh, they were looking for uh, performers for Carnival. So uh, my um, going to acting classes actually did, did work out for me. Now, Carnival is a stage production. It's not like you're going to the Carnival, like working at a Carnival. A Carnival is like a musical. That's right. Yes, the musical Carnival. That's right. Yeah, it's a little bit before my time. I don't really remember. I remember the name, but I don't remember it being popular. I know a lot of jugglers worked in Barnum. Uh, that that production. So there's also yeah, juggers I, in the show Carnival. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that show does uh, pop up every now and then. I I saw a uh, professional production of it. Uh, I guess it was in the '90s. So uh, just like you see uh, plays like Guys and Dolls in uh, Oklahoma, and uh, plays like that. That um, old plays from the early to mid 20th century that pop up every now and then, uh, you, you should eventually see Carnival again. Now, you were the first thing that I ever saw juggle on a pogo stick. Was that something you had seen someone do, or were you just kind of a pogo stick enthusiast? How'd that trick uh, idea come to you? Well, I was in junior high school, and um, my brother had a pogo stick. He was five years younger. I figured, well, uh, it would be funny if I juggled on a pogo stick, I figured out a way to hold myself on with a belt and um, juggle on the pogo stick, and that was my finale. So when I saw you, I don't think you had a belt. You had some kind of padding. Did later on you just squeeze it between your legs? Yeah. Uh, now, for the six-foot pogo stick, no way could you use a belt because uh, then you'd be stuck on it unless you worked out a mechanical system to release it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, I put padding around the pogo stick. I put something sort of like pillows around the bottom for my feet to grasp. And what I used up top was uh, carpet padding, not a carpet, but carpet padding. That's 
things that go under a carpet mm -hmm. and then covered that with something and uh, squeezed it between my knees, actually. That enabled me to use a six-foot pogo stick. Now, was that something that people actually had, like, at the time? Or how how'd you get your hands on a six-foot pogo stick? Because it was really, really tall, I remember. Right. It's, it's just a uh, regular pogo stick mm -hmm. with... Uh, a long pole that I put into it. Very, very impressive. You did some crazy stunts. We'll get to that. I thought about doing the pogo stick myself at one point until I looked up on YouTube, pogo stick fails. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that looks super, super dangerous to have it slide out from you. Any Absolutely. kind of incidents uh, where you had some accidents on the pogo stick? Barely. Um, yeah, I've had, uh, I can think of two falls that I've had. Uh, it is a little dangerous. If you let go, you're, you're squeezing that pogo stick to keep it from slipping out from under you. If you do let go, it goes down fast and you go down backward. And um, the worst danger is hitting your head. One time practicing in a gym, that happened. It was a short, shortly after I had recovered from a bad case of sciatica. And uh, I hurt my heel a little bit. Uh, that was nothing major at all. But uh, <laughs> if you want to hear funny fails uh, in shows, uh, one time in a show, um, I did my apple, cucumber, and lettuce routine at the start. What is your apple, cucumber, and lettuce routine? Well, I guess you can figure it out. It's eating an <laughs> apple. It's eating an apple, cucumber, and lettuce. Sounds funny. Yeah, like a salad. Yeah, yeah, and I would uh, I would finish by sticking the cucumber in my mouth and then dancing to the music, <laughs> which was um, Eat It by Weird Al Yankovic. I can picture that, okay, yeah. And then maybe you have seen this uh, at a Jugglers Festival, especially in Pittsburgh, 97. Then I would go into the audience and uh, get a female volunteer, in quotes, yep. and drag her up and dance with her. <laughs> and do some funny moves, some cuddle-ups. This is all with the cucumber in your mouth still? Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> and then take a bow with her. This time, that was the first, that was the beginning of the show. This one time, there was a little piece of cucumber that happened to still be on the floor when I got on the pogo stick at the end of the show. Mm, right, right. When I got on the pogo stick, the pogo stick slipped on this little piece of cucumber. Yeah. I fell down and uh, hit my head. Ouch, okay. <laughs> and I got back on the pogo stick again, Unbeknownst to me, the pogo stick was broken. Oh, okay. Because uh, I was holding on with my legs so hard that uh, pogo stick just broke. So I fell off again. <laughs> right. I think I did manage to finish that show. I did my five tricks at once trick as a finale at the time. Unfortunately, I can still do the five tricks at once trick, which I'll tell you about in a moment if you want. Okay. Sure, sure. You have to get the picture because when you talk about dancing with the woman, I have a particular picture in my mind. Like one thing you were known for was your costuming. Like you always <laughs> wore kind of a skin tight leotard that showed a lot of uh, skin, like like sort of chest and back. Yep. <laughs> now, was yep. that intentional? Because, you know, I want to put this politely, but you were hirsute. Is that the word? Kind of a, a hairy man. And right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Jugglers were known for uh, harassing me about my body hair. <laughs> well, but it was funny because that you kind of wore what a typical, stereotypical juggler would wear, kind of a, a skin-tight leotard suit. But the way you juggled and your, your comedy, it kind of, you really weren't that guy. 
So I always <laughs> thought it was very, very funny, and it kind of added to your overall appeal that you kind of okay. went that direction. So Okay, well, I'm glad you did. Uh, I, I have caught some uh, criticism from people for that costume, and I'm still wearing it. I would criticize you at all. I mean, that's your identity. I mean, when something becomes iconic, how can you criticize it? Uh, okay, well, thank you. Uh, I'm doing a job uh, walk-around on Saturday, and uh, I'm not quite as muscular as I used to was, yeah. Dan. So, uh, <laughs> Hey, you're still working, though. That's great that you're still... So this is like your 44th year, is that correct? Well, I uh, started in 77, uh, so uh, it's been uh, 44 years. New Year's Day, or well, actually New Year's Eve 76, was uh, what I might call my uh, start in show business. Now, you say you can no longer do it, but grace us with the, the facts. What was your five-trick-at-once stunt? Well, that was balancing on the balancing board, spinning a hula hoop, spinning a basketball, juggling with two balls in the left. Uh, I, I used to be able to do three balls in the left uh, in practice, and um, balancing a pool cue on my chin. Now, you also did a lot of tricks with uh, basketballs. When you were on the unicycle, I'm picturing in my mind, let me know if I have this right, like you're, you're hula hooping and doing two basketballs and four balls. So like multiplexing the balls. So six objects while hula hooping on the, unit, on the pogo stick. Am I correct? Well, well, no, wait a minute. Well, that was on the pogo stick. Yes, yeah. I used to do two basketballs and four balls multiplex on yeah. the six-foot pogo stick. In practice, I could do eight balls multiplex on the pogo stick. If you were at the 89 Jugglers Festival in Baltimore, you would have seen that. There's a video of me doing that um, that pops up every now and then on YouTube. Um, or, well, I mean on Facebook. It, it is on YouTube. Right. It was uh, it was on the news, and there's there is a big video that uh, has a lot of things, and that's one of the things. Me doing eight balls on the six foot pogo stick, and that made uh, Guinness Book of World Records for a year, probably not two years, maybe two years. But then they Gino Jones uh, yep. got that into uh, the record book. Then they started and they stopped putting these oddball tricks in. So I'm no longer on uh, in Guinness Book of Records. Yeah, for people who don't know, Gino Jones was also an IGA president. And at one That's time right. he became the representative for uh, Guinness Book. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so he always had a, a, a sweet spot for jugglers. And I also got in uh, the Guinness Book through Gino Jones. Oh, so he, okay. He was a good, yeah, I got in for uh, bouncing a ball on a golf club. So I was the first person to have that record, which was like, I said it at 1,500. Now it's like 30,000 or something. And also eight shaker cups. Okay. I set that record. And then, of course, that's been surpassed as well. But Gino Jones was uh, president for for a few years. I'm not sure how many years, but back in the, in the 80s, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Gino was very supportive of me. He always uh, sent the uh, guys from the news to me. Well, you're always known as a very consistent juggler. People very rarely saw you drop. You did these very difficult tricks, these weird combination tricks, but you were also very, very consistent. What was your practicing like? Were you a guy who just practiced long hours? How did you practice? Well, uh, I usually practice uh, my tricks and... Uh, more difficult variations of those tricks. I usually wouldn't do the very most difficult variation 
of the tricks that I did in shows. Uh, I think it was you, or uh, <laughs> maybe it was Jack Calvert. I, I, I do get you two guys mixed up. Because the team thing. I know we were both in teams, and we were both from L.A. at one point. You were, you were talking about the scorpion kick, uh, which uh -huh. I had never heard that name before, but uh, wasn't it you who said that uh, you saw me kick the ball up and uh, straight up and uh, right back onto my foot and did that several times? Well, that's a very popular trick now. I've seen people do it with clubs. I, I think there's a whole maybe David Kane article about the history of it. But the first person I saw, and this was years before anybody else, was you. And you would do it with <laughs> balls. And I believe you kicked it with the flat of your foot or the heel. Absolutely, yeah, the flat, not the not the heel. Uh, that kicking with the heel is uh, is another very difficult trick. It's a different trick. Did you see someone do that, or just because of some natural ability? What made you think that you could kick a ball sort of blind behind your back like that? Well, that's again uh, something that I did because <laughs> out of ignorance. Uh, I just didn't know that. Uh, I, I guess. Uh, I guess if I had known other jugglers, I would have uh, known more about what to learn uh, about the conventional stuff, but I, I didn't know what else to learn, so I just thought it would be fun and uh, definitely challenging. So uh, I spent a lot of time working on that one trick. That's a good picture you're doing, too. Did you ever like do a multiplex and kick two balls back at the same time? What I did for many years um, after I got into multiplex was uh, I would do five balls multiplex and uh, throw one ball back and kick it up. Mm -hmm. That's in performance. And that was a very difficult trick because to do multiplex, I always used uh, these street hockey balls, which I still use, of course, which are weighted with uh, rice. They don't bounce very well. But I did that trick so well that I was able to do it with balls that don't bounce well. And what was your record for the like, number of times you could kick it? Like, you could kick it quite a few times in a row. Did you ever figure out how many times you could do it uh, consecutively? Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm a counter, Jack. Um, <laughs> Dan. Uh, I mean, not uh, Dan. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I always count when I practice, and uh, I put things in a notebook. Oh, okay. I'm looking at my notebook now. If you looked at this notebook, you figure it's the very most boring book in the world well what did you, let's talk about that when did you start this notebook because that's interesting that you did you notate the the amount of time you practice what would go in your notebook no i i never i never wrote down the time i just wrote down the number of uh counts for example if, if i were practicing five balls i'd count every third throw remember i'm doing three in the right and two in the left so I'd count every third throw, one, 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 two, 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 three, three, three. And I'd, I'd just write down the number of tricks I could do before I dropped. So did you ever have notate how many times you could do this? Uh, now, you didn't call it the scorpion kick. You just called it the kick behind your back, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I got good enough at it that I didn't have to count how many times I did it in a row, but uh, I would practice it over and over and over again. Actually, if I, <laughs> I, I can't do that anymore, damn it. Okay. So that and the, and the five tricks at once and the scorpion kick or, or the kick behind your back like you called it. Now, were these because just, you got older or, or you just weren't able to maintain the skills? Why did you have to lose these tricks? Well, uh, in 2013, I noticed I was having some trouble with that kick behind the back, and I remember there was a day when I just 
had to leave it out of a show, so I practiced it and practiced it some more, and I got it back in the show. And then there came a point uh, around 2016 or so when uh, I had to stop doing it with the heavy-weighted street hockey balls. I had to go back to uh, kids' toys sponge balls and just do it out of three. Right. And uh, it was a lot easier that way. I managed to get it back to uh, where I could do it, um, maybe not perfectly. At a certain point, I did a comedy routine with it uh, where I talk about being a, a decrepit old man with a miserable attitude. <laughs> but <laughs> So I can't do this every time, but uh, I did it well enough. And, uh, and I would say, well, I'll keep doing it until I get three in a row. And I, I would uh, do it like that on stage and finally get three in a row and the audience would love it. Well, I think that's what we have to do as we get older, like Dieter Tasso. You have to compensate and uh, make it impressive that we're still doing anything at our age. So, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's I'm going to be right. 60 this year, so I'm already oh. thinking of ways to uh, incorporate my advanced age into my performances. Yeah. Well, uh, two days from now, if I drive carefully tomorrow, I'll be 70 on Friday. Wow. Well, congratulations. It's good timing for us to uh, do this Larry V. Re retrospective then. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because uh, I might die of a heart attack on uh, on Saturday when I do a two-and-a-half-hour walk-around. That's right, a two-and-a-half-hour walk-around at 70. That's pretty good. I had a friend, uh, John Palvagin, down here. He worked uh, until his late 70s, so uh, I think he even worked until his 80s. So I gave you mm -hmm. another another dozen years, at least, of walk-arounds. Okay, well... Uh... <laughs> I'm figuring living to 100. There you go. Did you ever uh, master the five-ball cascade, or did you always just continue doing the three balls in one and two in the other? Yeah, I did learn how to do the five-ball cascade eventually. For a while there, I had it in my act with the, uh, with the five, and uh, I did a five-ball routine for a while. Uh, sometimes I would leave the five-ball cascade out of it, and I would do multiplex, and finally the kicks out of the multiplex let's talk about your transition from a guy who did a new year's eve party in 76 because you also went to college i have that you went to temple university you chose to study spanish that's right what intrigued you about the spanish language well i just liked it and i thought i might be a good career to be a, a spanish teacher so uh never uh i just did student teaching were you able to do uh, bilingual performances? Did you able to incorporate it uh, in your professional life? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I lived in Barcelona in the 90s, and I did uh, street performing, got on a couple of TV shows, and uh, I did, uh, did a bunch of shows there. So, yeah, I have performed in Spanish quite a bit. Because I had that you studied in Madrid. Was that while you were studying as a student, or were you there purely as a professional juggler at that point? Well, no, at that point in Madrid, that was in 1971-72. Uh, uh, that was the uh, the period of my life where I wasn't performing. So I, I did bring five balls with me, I remember, but I didn't practice that much at the time. Then later on, uh, I, I met a woman who, uh, who was going to uh, Barcelona to teach English, and uh, I went over there after if she'd been there for a while and uh, that was a bad relationship uh, turned out to be but uh, it was great being in Spain for a while and performing there and I met some jugglers there there are a lot of good jugglers in Barcelona well many good stories and bad stories uh, start with I met a woman 
So, <laughs> <Good> <laughs> going point. to Barcelona and juggling and working on the street—that sounds very romantic and uh, exciting at that time. That's that's right. That was. I'm I'm glad I did that, even though that uh, relationship was a bomb. <laughs> when did you decide to transition to become a professional juggler? Well, uh, I guess I became a professional uh, in '79 when I gave up repairing TVs which is what I had been doing after high school, uh, after college. How did that come about? Was that a a family connection? How would you get into repairing TVs? Well, I I just liked electronics, and uh, I read about it in high school and uh, learned how those old TVs worked. I got got good enough to uh, do it on my own. I, I used to buy and sell TVs didn't, didn't usually repair them for people. Did some of that. Did mm-hmm. some of that, but um, mostly what I did was I got old TVs and repaired them and sold them. Yeah, that used to be a thing. I think nowadays there really isn't a TV repair man. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think people just throw them away and buy a new TV, right? Throw away electronics now. Yeah, it's a, it's a pity. It it would be fun to work on one of those old TVs and troubleshoot it. I still remember how those things work. Still remember the numbers of the tubes. Uh, <laughs> I, I would have quite a bit of fun if I were to uh, troubleshoot an old TV. Now, if you opened up a new TV, would it just be total confusion? Or Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm no good at those things. Well, it's pretty amazing. I think I met you around that time. I remember you living in kind of a big house. I remember there being a portrait on one of the walls, and your room was like very crowded with a lot of stuff. Well, now wait a minute. You you never were there. Uh, this must have been something I told you, right? No, no. I visited you one time in Philadelphia. Oh, oh, geez, that's right. Uh, that's right. That's when. Uh, <laughs> my gosh, I'd forgotten about that. Uh, well, we're talking like thirty, thirty years. <laughs> yeah. You were opening in Atlantic City for uh, the singer who did uh, Lady Marmalade. Oh, Patty La- Patty Labelle. Well, uh, you tell oh, me. Yeah, yeah. We were working in Philadelphia. <laughs> it wasn't Atlantic City. We were working okay. at the Fox Theater in Philadelphia, really? opening for okay. for Patty Labelle. Oh, good memory. Okay. Wow, look at you. <laughs> look at the brain on Larry. Good job. Nice memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. That that's right. Yeah, you were you were at my house. Uh, that, that was my parents' house, of course. I had the. Uh, I think you might have stayed at my apartment two doors down. I don't think so. I think we went. We saw it, but we didn't. We didn't have the pleasure of staying there. We we just saw okay. it. Okay. But it was right. quite, it was quite memorable. I think that whole visit was very memorable. Uh, like I said, you were a very very important part of the IGA festivals for me. When did you start going into the IGA? Well, uh, nineteen seventy-seven uh, when I. I told you it wasn't ni- until 1977 when I met another good juggler. Right. And he told me about the IJA. There was uh, a festival in Newark, Delaware that year. Who, who was that juggler who told you? Did his, his name uh, lost a time? His name was still Steve McFarland. Okay. I've been in touch with him in the last few years, uh, rarely, but uh, he's not that much into juggling now. Well, it doesn't stick with everybody. There's, there's those crazy few. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he was uh, in 1977. He was performing uh, with his uh, troupe of several people and as a clown mostly. And uh, we piled around a lot, and we went to the festival together. Of course, that was a great festival. Were, were you there in 1977 in Newark? No, I, I wasn't there until '81. 
So who stands out? Who uh, who are the jugglers who you remember being there and who were uh, very memorable? Well, there was Jay Green, and uh, mm-hmm. I remember met Roger Dollarhide, and uh, Mike Marlin performed. I think Michael Cass was there. Yeah, these, these names bring up a lot of memories. I'd like to get Michael Cass on a future podcast. Okay. He had a very interesting uh, post-juggling career. He worked with Pixar and... Uh, I believe uh, it was part of an Oscar-winning team for really? one of their projects. Yeah, he's a very, quite successful guy, still lives here in the Bay Area. I don't think he ever did it professionally, but he won the competitions at my first festival in Fargo. Yeah, that was 1980. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so 80 was my first one. Did you then go on a, a series of them? Were you able to go year after year? How many festivals did you go to? Well, I went uh, to every one, 77 through 83. Okay. And then uh, then I went sporadically after that. It was really fun to get together with other jugglers. And uh, it's, it's very nice of you to say that I was one of the guys that you remember. You and your team were uh, a couple of the people that I remember, too. <laughs> well, those days, I think I'm, we have a lot of fondness for them, the 80s. You know, the people who were there. It was a very kind of exciting time in juggling. And there were certainly people like Edward Jackman and... And yourself oh, yeah. and Edward Jackson was, like you say, Mike Marlin, who yeah, were the 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 memorable standout kind of bigger personalities, let's say. Yeah, Edward Jackman was one of the guys I remember most from '77. Uh, also, now, there's a guy I will not be able to get on the podcast because he has no connection with juggling anymore. You know, won't oh, talk really? to jugglers, won't even discuss his past history as a juggler. Uh, that's so. funny. Well, like I say, for some of us, it becomes a lifelong obsession. Uh, I, I still juggle. I juggled a couple hours today, so. <laughs> but it'll come back. There's a time to, you know, the work will come back, and I, I want to be ready for it. So. so let's talk a bit more about your work. So you became a professional. You were, you were uh, repairing TVs. What kind of jobs did you start with? Well, I uh, did uh, schools, fairs, malls, camps, and, of course, the parties, the birthday parties and uh, the uh, big parties in hotels and the uh, little backyard parties. How many shows would you do a year? You're striking me as a guy that, like like a local performer, like you're saying, you're doing all those different venues. Would it be a couple hundred shows a year? No, I I don't think I ever did a couple hundred shows a year. uh, Maybe one every three days or so. Still pretty good. Still pretty good. What year did you go then to perform in in Barcelona? Well, that was uh, 19... 92 and 93. And I also have my, in my notes that you competed in the IJ competitions in 1989 and came in second. That's right. Had you competed before that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I also came in second in 79. <laughs> okay. Right. And uh, I think I won a third place uh, finish in one of the events in 77. See, in 77, they, they had ball juggling, club juggling, and other things. I think I won third in... Um, auxiliary equipment, which was unicycle or pogo stick or things like that. Yeah, it used to be broken into categories. It's like the early 80s, and they started having this stage competition. So when you went in 89, that was the, the individuals' competitions. Yeah, that's right. They became, uh, actually it was 79 when they eliminated all those little categories and um, had the, uh, what they called the U.S. Nationals, I think. that They were at least called the U.S. Nationals for a couple of years anyway. Yeah, I remember they had a, a system where it was juniors and individuals, but a junior was under 18, or if you had been juggling less than three years. That's right. <laughs> but I think they—I don't think they could maintain that because a lot of people 
said, well, I have only been juggling seriously for three years. Or <laughs> Yes, that was a strange <laughs> system, and uh, there was a lot of criticism about it. They finally did change it, which was, uh, I guess, the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, we're still. I think they're still tinkering with the competitions. I don't know if they've found the exact right mix yet. I know the WGF is also uh, trying to push for juggling in the Olympics. What's your take on that? Do you think you'll ever see juggling in the Olympics? Well, uh, why not? Uh, it's a, an art. You can call it a sport. There are a whole lot of things that you could put in the Olympics. So uh, I'm not one to uh, make a prediction. <laughs> it wouldn't be too terribly strange. It'd be nice to see. Eh? Like you said, there's things like baton twirling and jump roping. I know they're having break dancing. I think is going to be a, an exhibition sport uh, next time they have it, the summer games. Or I think maybe in uh, four years. So... Break dancing, juggling, why not, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Let's talk about some of your TV exposure. Uh, you got to do the David Letterman show. Uh, what did you do on the David Letterman show, and what was that experience like? Well, uh, <laughs> that was kind of fun. Um, I didn't get a big spot. Uh, I was on uh, Is This Anything, mm -hmm. and they only had me do one trick, my four tricks at once trick on a six-foot unicycle spinning a hula hoop spinning a ring around my wrist and juggling. Right, right, right. I was on twice and they bumped me twice. And finally they had me back a third time and they said, uh, we're not going to bump you this time because we don't want to keep paying you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had to pay you every time you showed up, right? So Yeah, that, that's right. Uh, I got a few bucks out of that job. Let's talk about that trick you described because that's another one I, I remember you doing well before I saw anybody else. You would rotate a ring on your wrist or on both wrists while you juggled three balls. And it was a very weird, sort of kinetic looking trick. Like it seemed unnatural. Uh, is, that, is that one of your original ones that rings on the wrists and three balls at the same time? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, on the unicycle, I could never perform spinning uh, rings around both wrists. Mm -hmm. Got to be pretty good at it in practice on a small unicycle. And for some reason, I just couldn't do that on a tall unicycle. I never quite understood why. Well, maybe because it, it seems like you have to make a lot of motion, like it's very oh, yeah. physical. Yeah, yeah. Now, there, there was a video that went somewhat viral of me doing that trick with two rings around either wrist on a balancing board in uh, 2018. Now, what would you say is your most difficult trick that you find the one uh, the most challenging? Well, uh the, uh, the five tricks at once trick, which I can't do anymore, balancing on the balancing board, spinning a hula hoop, spinning a basketball on my right hand, juggling with the left hand, and balancing a pool cue on the chin. Yeah, you did some amazing uh, combination tricks. No one else was doing that stuff. We had the old school guys like Francis Brunn, but none of the modern jugglers were doing any kind of weird combination stuff like you did. Hmm. Now, could you balance uh, three objects at the same time, like on the chin on each, each hand? Well, uh, let's see, uh, I definitely can't do that now, and uh, I remember when I was first learning the uh, elements of that five tricks at once trick, I did get good at uh, balancing something on the chin and balancing at least one thing on the hand. I don't think I could do two things. But uh, could you also balance on the, on the tall unicycle? I didn't get very good at that. I one time uh, was working on that. I was able to uh, balance on the chin on the small unicycle anyway and and balance a balance a pool cue or something on the chin 
while juggling, and uh, I don't remember if I could juggle with one hand and spin a basketball on the other hand, but I never did that in performance because uh, I guess I just didn't need to because I could do it on the balancing board as the finale. Well, and plus, obviously, I think you were a lot better of a juggler than you needed to be in a lot of those situations. Like you're saying, you're doing these parties and stuff. They probably weren't expecting to have someone such a, a virtuoso show up. <laughs> well, thanks. Doing the big tricks were always... And, of course, still are <laughs> a point of pride for me. In the last few years, I'm getting to learn what people have been telling me all my life, that uh, <laughs> you don't necessarily have to do big tricks to be entertaining. It kind of reminds me of uh, Bill Nat. Did you ever know him? I think he was in, from Utah. Well, I don't recognize the name. I, I know a lot of these guys from uh, Facebook. Well, I think he was uh, before my time, but he was another guy that just did these really amazing big power tricks but never really uh, was well-known. He was just a, a, an avid juggler. And I think, like I say, your skill level for a guy on the local level doing these shows was really, really impressive because your ability to do these combination tricks and juggle on the pogo stick. And also while hula hooping, you're one of the first persons I saw who really incorporated the hula hoop. Uh, when did you start hula hooping and juggling at the same time? Well, um, that was 1978. I remember I made some progress in that at the... Uh, 78 festival in um, Oregon and I remember uh, I had trouble uh, juggling while spinning a hula hoop on the balancing board then I learned how to juggle four balls while spinning a hula hoop on the ground and once I could do that then I could juggle three balls on the balancing board while spinning a hula hoop now that's, that's a pretty big stunt now one thing you performed which I've never done is fire eating is that something you still do? Yeah, that's the easy. That's the easy <laughs> thing. Uh, I'll be very honest with you. My fire eating is not just mediocre; it is extraordinarily mediocre. <laughs> okay, right. But is that good enough for the audience? They, as long as you put it, uh, the fire in your mouth, they're happy with that. Yes, uh, <laughs> they think I'm great uh, when I do fire eating. I bring fire eating to higher and higher levels of mediocrity. And what's the secret? Is it just having a very uh, wet mouth at the time that you put the fire in there? Well, um, I don't drink water beforehand or anything. Uh, right. Fire eating is uh, one of those things that is a lot easier than it looks. <laughs> when you put a small torch in your mouth and close your mouth around it, the fire just goes out. Well, I cannot recommend this to the listeners of the Drop Everything podcast without professional supervision. That's my lawyers are are giving me the high sign that I have to mention that. Well, yeah, of course, uh, when I do it, if, if there are children present, usually even if there aren't children present, I do, I do say that I have a routine that talks about how I did it. Uh, one of the guys who taught me, by the way, was uh, Dick Haynes, who was Steve Mills' father-in-law for a long time. Yeah, Carol Haynes' uh, father, yeah. Yeah, Carol, Carol's father. And uh, we were at a unicycle festival he said, you want, you want to eat fire? And I said, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Believe it or not, I had tried to learn fire eating before, and I just couldn't do it. Just on your own? You just tried to figure it out? In fact, uh, I had somebody, had a very good magician, uh, Landis. Uh, it was Landis and Company, Landis Smith. I'm sorry, it was a guy who worked with him. Uh, Landis Smith was a friend of mine that I worked with in Carnival, one of my first gigs. Anyway, uh, I saw him in a walk-around teach people to eat fire. At a walk-around? Wow, okay. Yep, yep, yep. The <laughs> okay. members of the audience. Really? No, no, 
Yeah, no, no way would I ever do that. Yeah. But uh, I figured, well, if he can teach people to eat fire, maybe he can teach me. Sure. And uh, I just didn't learn with him. But with Dick Haynes, I learned. Well, that's a pretty, uh, I guess the word, I don't know, extreme walk-around stunt to actually get people to try to eat fire. And good for him, I guess. That's Yeah, I, I don't know how he did it, but he did. Didn't do my self-confidence a whole lot of good. He's able to, to take these idiots and <laughs> teach them. <laughs> now, do you ever have any health consequences? I mean, do you feel that uh, fire eating has damaged your health in any way over the years? Well, in fact, it can, but uh, that's really why I kept my fire eating so mediocre. I right. just didn't want to uh, inhale that stuff. I do not do the uh, blast. Right. I do not take the uh, fuel in my mouth where it can rub against my cheek. Yeah, Good. that's smart. Yeah. That is definitely very bad for you, and the fumes that go down into your body, uh, I think, are very harmful. I do uh, what is called tongue transfer, where I right. rub a little fluid on my tongue, uh, light up my tongue, or you actually don't light up the tongue. The fire is comes off the fumes, which is above the tongue, mm-hmm. and transfer the flame to another torch. So uh, people think that's great. Well, it's a nice trick, like you say, because it's sort of the... It's sort of magical the way that the flame almost leaps off your tongue from torch to torch. Uh, I've seen that one. That's a nice, nice stunt. Right. Yeah. Now, you also mentioned about sciatica, which is a a back syndrome that causes extreme pain. Do you think that uh, some back issues might have also been caused by juggling? Well, uh, (laughs) uh, I suspect that they were caused by uh, giving 200-pound adult men unicycle piggyback ride. <laughs> so that's one of your stunts is that you'd be on a small uni and have them on your shoulders? Yeah, well, not on my shoulders, uh, piggyback, that is. Uh, oh, I see, okay. Yeah. Draped, 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 draped on your back, right? Yeah, so uh, I gave that up. <laughs> well, I've seen that as a very risky stunt. I've seen people where they get a person from the audience and they put like a kid on their shoulders while they, try, while they ride the unicycle. I've never done it myself, but it seemed very risky. Yeah, well, I, I used to do it with, uh, I try to find a man who would be 160 pounds or so. Right. Sometimes I'd, I'd do it with a guy who, who was 200 or so. Uh, I'd pick a guy who, uh, who didn't look fat, see. Uh, right. Uh, for some reason, uh, muscular guys who who were tall, sometimes they would be 200 pounds. They, they would tell me afterward, and uh, they seemed to have their weight distributed better, and uh, I could give them unicycle piggyback ride, <laughs> no problems. Right, right. In the 90s, when I was in my 40s, uh, I had some really bad problems with sciatica, which continued till uh, I was 51 years old. Then I stopped having the problems i have a little bit of uh, numbness in my left foot so it's as if my body made a deal with me it said uh, okay i'm gonna gonna stop giving you sciatica but i'm gonna leave you with a little bit of numbness in your foot well so you've had such a long career what would your advice be to jugglers who are starting out or who are pretty early in their careers physically or mentally just about the business itself well gee uh i would say uh get some uh training about entertainment, if not about uh, the juggling tricks, <laughs> learn comedy techniques. Now, you do a lot of comedy in your in your show. Did you study comedy? Is that just sort of a natural part of your personality? Where'd the comedy come from? Well, uh, <laughs> I did read a little bit about how to write comedy, mm-hmm. how to free associate things and uh, write jokes. What city are you in now? Are you in Darby? 
Pennsylvania? Collingdale, uh, which is right near Philadelphia. I've always lived in Philadelphia, so uh, uh, this is just uh, 12 minutes from the nearest point in Philadelphia, so you can call me a Philadelphian. I will call you a Philadelphian. Now, in your career, you had this trip to Barcelona. Were you an international performer, or do you basically stay in the Philadelphia area? Uh, basically in the Philadelphia area. Uh, I was just up in New York last week. Uh, done, done a lot of gigs in New York, and uh, I don't usually uh, go around the world. <laughs> no, but you've made a lot of friends in juggling. Any other jugglers up there that you go see at, at clubs or anything? Or maybe not now, but what was the scene up there like in Philadelphia? Well, uh, we have a juggling club, which I'm active in. Uh, at least I was. Uh, we're still shut down for the pandemic. There's some meetings in Westchester, which I was going to for a while, but then they changed them to early in the morning. So <laughs> I'm not a morning person. Not a morning person? There's also the uh, circus school out there, right? Isn't Circadium? Oh, yes. Actually, yes, the, the, the circus school is doing some amazing things. They're developing some amazing jugglers. Yeah, that's uh, Greg Kennedy's facility, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yep. Yep. Great Kennedy's. He and his wife, Shana, are uh, getting very successful in that. Yeah, no, they're also producing some great work. I just watched their uh, graduation show. And mm -hmm. I remember Liam Heist Headstead, uh, cigar box root juggler, was one of the graduates this year. So I was very excited to see his act. Yep. That's right. Yeah, he's good. Well, we're coming to the end of our time together, Larry. Let's talk a little about the future. So you say you're going to turn 70. Uh, <laughs> what are the plans for the, the future of your juggling? You know, keep going as long as you can, or is retirement on the horizon? Well, uh, <laughs> geez, uh, I'm quite unsure. Uh, I probably should learn maybe some magic or uh, maybe some, um, I don't know. Um, well, you have uh, balloon animals as one of your skills. Is that another, uh, oh, another yes, that's you right. feature at your shows is balloon animals? Yes, I, I do balloon animals, uh, and nowadays there are also some super balloon animal makers, and uh, I, I can't compete with them, but people <laughs> do love my people do love my balloon animals. Okay, what's better, your fire-eating skills or your balloon animals? <laughs> well, probably um, balloon animals are more intricate. Uh, I just do uh, two or three fire-eating tricks, whereas uh, for... Balloon animals, I, I make a whole bunch of different balloon animals. Again, I don't try to be too technically good. And in fact, sometimes I even just blow up uh, these funny-shaped balloons, which I don't even have to sculpt. And right. uh, again, people love them. Well, like you say, it's all about being an entertainer and, and serving the, the function of, of bringing joy and happiness to the party or the festival. Exactly. And uh, that's sort of been your gift is, like I say, you're a great juggler, but you're also a personality. You're the amazing... Larry V. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah, people people do love heart-shaped balloons and uh, these squiggly balloons, and uh, they love to play with them, uh, not just kids, but adults, too. Now, you talked about learning this sort of unusual way where you kind of developed your own style, but if you kind of looked at the jugglers that you know and saw, you know, performing, if you could pick one, who would you like to juggle like? Like, for me, it's always been Chris Cremo, <laughs> but do you have a juggling idol? Oh, Gosh, I really don't, but Chris Cremo, I do remember seeing videos of him, and uh, he did these great three-ball routines. He was an excellent entertainer. Is he, is he still performing? Yeah, I saw him, uh, like a, I think it was 2019. He was mm -hmm. performing with his son, Harrison. I was very, oh. very uh, excited because he was in a local circus that came to our area, and I got to see him over a couple of nights, and we got to spend some time together, and... And I was very excited to see that he was also still a uh, 
a real real high point high point in the show. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent job with his son. A wonderful duo act. Okay, well, I'm I'm very glad to hear that about Chris Cremo. I've never met him, but uh, yeah, I I really admired his uh, three ball stuff. Uh, not just the juggling skill, but uh, his funny faces and uh, his movements. Uh, I wonder if if he studied a lot, or if he just learned how to do those movements by himself. Well, you know, his dad, Bella Cremo, was another uh, great professional. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right. I had forgotten that name, and now I remember it. Yes, yeah, so if you watch them side by side. It's very much his dad's act to some degree. Obviously, Chris, you know, brought his own personality to it. But a lot of those little touches sort of seem to come from the, the Cremo dynasty, the family. Mm-hmm. And what about the Larry Vaxman dynasty? Have you trained anybody to do your stunts? <laughs> no, uh, nobody seems to be interested in uh, copying me. And if someone's interested, as I do suggest people go on YouTube and uh, would they look under Larry V, like V-E-E, to find your videos? Yeah, you can see my video from the 89 competition. Okay. And uh, you can see uh, videos with my five tricks at once trick and the kicks behind the back. And if people do see you juggle on YouTube and are interested in learning these techniques, would you be uh, willing to teach people over Skype and things like that? Are you interested in coaching juggling at all? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually would, would love to uh, coach juggling. I haven't gotten a lot of interest in that. The only teaching I've done has been uh, for in schools and uh, I have not been wildly successful in that and teaching everybody to juggle. Well, we're talking your specialized skills, so I do suggest that the listeners have dropped everything. Go on YouTube. If you're not familiar with Larry's juggling, check out the juggling of Larry V. Watch his amazing combination tricks and see the uh, style, the fashion style of Larry as well. I hope you're wearing your traditional outfit in these videos. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I would love to teach my tricks. Well, thank you so much, Larry, for being on the Drop Everything podcast. Thanks for being a big part of my memories of the IGA festivals. I'm glad we had this chance to catch up, and I wish you the best as you go forth into this uh, twilight years of your uh, juggling <laughs> career. I consider that for myself as well, so it's, it's not a... I think I'm in my twilight years as well, but I wish you the best. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. Thanks for being so supportive and for uh, doing this project for jugglers. I wish you the best, too, in everything you do. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. And a big thanks uh, to our listeners. And, of course, check out the amazing Larry V. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed podcast number 96, my conversation with Larry Voxman. Thank you, Larry V. Stay amazing. All right. Go visit our sponsor, the IJA, at juggle.org. Check out Amazon.com for my books. Drop everything, except when you're juggling.